Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. Today's episode is part of a special summer series discussing the stories of women found in Scripture. This week's conversation is hosted by Dr. Lynn Coick and Serene Musselman. Join us as we debunk common myths, explore important themes, and discuss the relevance of these women's stories for our faith today. Well, hey there, Alabaster Jar listeners. It's Serene again as we continue the special summer series where we have been talking about women in the New Testament and the Old Testament as a companion to Lynn's Seminary Now course. You have probably already heard from Carmen Imes as well on this series. It's been a great few weeks so far. If you have missed those, go back and check them out. Uh, I'm sure that you will enjoy the conversations that we've had so far. And Lynn, tell us who we are talking about this week. Thanks, Serene. How are you doing? So great to be talking about women in the New Testament. Yes, I'm good. I'm excited. Yes, excellent. So we're going to be looking at Priscilla and Lydia. These are uh, women that we find in the book of Acts. And then also Priscilla is uh, mentioned in some of Paul's letters. She's a co-worker of Paul's. But we're going to spend a little bit of time in Acts 16 and 18. That's where we find uh, Lydia and Priscilla. Awesome. So uh, as listeners, if you've been um, following along in this series, you know that we start out with myths. So tell me, as people have read the stories of Lydia and Priscilla throughout history, are there any common myths that come to the surface? Yeah, I think that uh, probably people are surprised at how active women were in the marketplace, both Lydia and Priscilla, uh, or Prisca, as her more formal name is, um, they were both, um, they worked. Uh, they, I, I don't know that I would say they had careers, because I'm not sure that would translate, you know, that might sound a little too modern, but they, they both, uh, Lydia had a company, um, and uh, Prisca with her husband Aquila, had uh, a shop and they were um they, they probably worked with like awnings they they may not have actually worked with leather as much as like cloth but they they still they sewed things <laughs> like you know covers for people to keep out of the sun so anyway they and i think that that um idea that men and women together both were working in the marketplaces, um, having shops. Um, they were just out in doing stuff, you know? And I think at times the myth is, well, women just stayed at home and inside the house and cared for children. Um, well, they did for sure care for children, but it was uh, in the context of doing work. Um, so, and actually, I mean, there's a lot of cultures even today that have that pattern. This is pre-industrial culture, right? And so (laughs) that, that just, we have to stretch our mind back behind hot showers and flush toilets. Although they did actually have toilets then, but they didn't understand sanitation. So we, we are not loyal alabaster jar listeners we are not going to talk about the sanitation <laughs> or lack of we'll spare you the details world. we are not going to go there no no 
But, anyway, but they so did have toilets, so maybe another did. myth that we're busting today. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You never know what you're going to learn here now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Always a surprise, <laughs> even to us, maybe. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, if those are some of the myths, what are some of the themes that we see as we read their stories? Right, right. Well, I think um, here might be another myth that's busted that also ties into a theme. Both these women um, had uh, either theological knowledge in the case of Prisca or were very eager to develop theological knowledge in the case of Lydia. The reason I contrast those two a little bit is Prisca's most likely a Jewish woman who would have been raised on scripture, knew scripture, and what we find in her story as we see in the book of Acts, verse uh, 26, um, that she helped, she didn't, she and her husband helped Apollos, another of Paul's co-workers, um, they, they taught him more deeply the way of God, more adequately explaining to him the message of the gospel. So we have uh, Prisca, who is well-educated. I mean, I don't even know if I want to use the word elite, but clearly she taught another one of the leaders in the Christian movement. And, uh, and so I think that, uh, this, I, this theme of learning and continuing to learn more, that also carries over with Lydia, but Lydia was raised Gentile. So she would not have heard the gospel from, you know, the time when she was a young child, you know, going to synagogue. However, at some point, and I assume in her adult life, I don't know, but she begins to attend synagogue. Synagogues were not sacred places. Um, so a Gentile could show up. We have evidence of that from other places besides the book of Acts in, in the larger Greco-Roman world. And these are called God-fearers. And these Gentiles show up at synagogues or in the case of Philippi, where Lydia lives, uh, it's called a house of prayer. Um, there's a, I think that word prosuke, house of prayer, is used synonymously uh, as synagogue, although there's no physical space that's been excavated, no archaeological evidence of a building, a synagogue building in Philippi, maybe yet. Uh, who knows? But uh, anyway, all that to say is Lydia goes to the synagogue because she wants to hear the the Bible read. She wants to hear scripture read. And that's what they, one of the key things that happened in the, at this time in the synagogues. So I guess one of the major themes that these women show us is doesn't matter how far along you've been <laughs> in your training, you can always continue to do more. And if you have more training, then use it to help others. So that's, that's I think, one of the key themes um, here. Um, we, we see, I would say, also something fascinating in Lydia's story um, that uh, it's in, I'm turning now to Acts 16, and in uh, verse, let's see here, 15, when she, so she's already met Paul, they've, she's heard uh, the gospel, she's accepted the gospel, uh, the Lord opened her heart, 
And then she um, and the members of her household were baptized, and she invited Paul to come to her house. Now, let's just pause for a second. She's a Gentile. She's a God-fearer, but she's a Gentile. Paul is a Jew. So does he come into her house? And what might the... I mean, can she give him a cheeseburger? Mm, I don't necessarily think so. You know, Jews... Uh, such as Paul, were raised in what we call today kosher diet, right? And so, you know, it's it's a moment, if you will, in Paul's life. He's going to preach to the Gentiles. He knows he's called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And now the first convert in Asia says to him, um, come to my house. And she says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay in my house. And she persuaded us. I just find that a wonderful picture, both of Lydia and of Paul. She said in a very nice way to Paul, I am taking you at your word. You said that Jesus accepts me as I am. We are all the same Jew and Gentile in Christ. If that is true, then I think you can stay at my house. And Paul heard that and saw that and was persuaded by that. So just as Apollos learned from Prisca, and there was no problem in that. We don't hear that his masculinity was offended. So too, Paul was persuaded by Lydia. And it's Again, his masculinity is not offended. <laughs> He's not. It's like one believer to another believer saying, here's how I'm understanding the gospel. Here's a ramification of the gospel teaching. And the other believer said, yeah, you, you know, you're right. Okay, awesome. And they learn together. So those, I would say, are the some of the themes that, that we can pull from these two women and their stories. That's wonderful. Well, um... I'm already picking up on some things here, but I want to ask you, what are some practical applications of this that you see that we can take from their stories and apply to our own faith and our own lives today? Right. Well, I think um, one of the things that uh, happens in uh, Western cultures, um, from what very little studies I've done about like how we raise boys and girls differently, one of the things we sometimes do is we solve problems for girls faster. We let boys problem solve longer, but we like to quote unquote help girls. And there's nothing wrong, of course, about helping children. <laughs> I'm not against that. <laughs> but I think I'm just trying to, to suggest that from a very early stage, we can send a message to our young girls that they uh, are not sufficient unto themselves, and maybe they should set their goals a little bit lower than their brothers. Um, but when we look at Priscilla and Lydia, we see two women who uh, are engaged in um, in commerce. You know, they they're working. They have people depend on them for livelihood. Um, certainly in the case of Lydia, she has a household that she cares for. And she's a dealer in purple cloth. She was raised in Asia Minor in Thyatira 
and then moves to Philippi. I mean, so she, she's a businesswoman and, and that, you know, that takes a certain mindset. And I just, I, so I think these stories tell us to encourage our girls from a young age to, to, um, to imagine themselves capable of doing lots of different jobs, depending on what their, um, interests are and, and, uh, qualifications are capacity is. So that would be, I think one, uh, takeaway. And then, um, I think another would be this idea that men and women can learn together and learn from each other. That's what you see with, uh, Prisca and Apollos. And that's what you see with Lydia and Paul. And that's this idea of coming alongside each other for the sake of the kingdom and the growth of the gospel message spreading to uh, far and wide. Um, yeah, that those are the things I think we can take from these stories today. And so how are we structuring our churches, our youth groups, so that young men and young women are learning the gospel together, doing the gospel together, hearing the gospel from each other. Those would be the kinds of things where I think practically uh, we can, you know, we can do. What are, what are some of your thoughts with that? Yeah, I think that's so important. And we, there, it is important to create safe spaces. So sometimes those places where we as women or men can come together and talk the the separation may serve a purpose but we can lean into that so heavily sometimes that we don't have the opportunity to learn from each other and alongside each other as you're saying and um <clears throat> i think that there is a there's a pre-fall theology here to how we were created to um to be companions to each other and there's a fulfilling of of creation as God intended it that can only happen when we learn together when we grow in faith together and so I think there's something really beautiful about that picture that you're describing um, that really gets almost back to the restoring of creation that God is at work doing so um, that's what comes to mind when I think of that yeah yeah they're both um, wonderful they're, they're images of women who are deeply engaged in, uh, in, in the, uh, how do I want to say, in moving forward the gospel message, um, and showing leadership capacity in doing so, uh, not lording it over others, but truly seeing the men such as Apollos and Paul as their partners in, in ministry, um, and, and the men received that. So it didn't, it, it didn't challenge their, um, their, their own sense of, you know, personal worth as a man. Um, yeah, I, that to me, that, like you say, pre-fall, that, that I think is the intention behind the, the creation of, uh, male and female to work together. And that invitation to dinner for Paul, uh, I love your example of, well, he couldn't exactly eat a hamburger, but it's true. And it, cheeseburger. a cheeseburger, <laughs> let me, you know, let me get my details straight here, a cheeseburger. Um, you know, it's, it's a good reminder of the role of hospitality, that it's more than just throwing a dinner party, but it can actually be a place where healing happens, where we sit across the table from someone 
with a different background, who might look different, think different, be of a different socioeconomic status than we are. And that's really a beautiful picture of the church. And it's also a picture of God's character because God is hospitable. That's what we receive in, in the gift of Jesus. We are given this invitation into God's family. And then so I, I think there's something powerful happening even right there in that dinner invitation that Paul received as well. Oh, it's great. I mean, we could just keep going and going yeah. and going, but, uh, and we will, cause we have yes. a number of episodes. So. Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks, Alabaster Jar listeners, for joining us today. This conversation about Lydia and Priscilla doesn't have to stop here. This episode corresponds with episode nine of Lynn's course on Seminary Now, so you can go and check that out. And if you missed our previous episodes in this series, go back and take a listen. We'll be back next week with one more episode of this summer series as we wrap it up. So don't miss that. Lynn, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Yes, always a pleasure for me also. Thank you, Serene. You've been listening to another episode of The Alabaster Jar. If you enjoyed this week's conversation, please subscribe, share, and plan to join us again next week as we continue this special summer series. To explore further the topics and stories discussed in this week's episode, check out Lynn's Seminary Now course on Women in the New Testament, and Carmen's Seminary Now course on Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters. We've included links to both of those courses in today's episode description.